have my my bond with Divine throughout the years as I go on to graduate high school and college. Um, got a degree in applied psychology from Pennsylvania State University. Um, after which time I went for my master's in clinical mental health counseling at Geneva College. Okay. And you went into clinical mental health counseling, the master's degree, because? Because I knew that I wanted to help people in a really life-changing way. And I knew what it was like to experience anxiety, depression, um, not fitting in and just really not not knowing what your purpose is in this world. And I knew that there was a better way to to help people cope with that than traditional talk therapy. And it was when I discovered that my love for horses and my desire to help people could be combined um, that that really sparked my lifelong passion for equine-assisted psychotherapy. And we've always talked about talk therapy is wonderful. However, there's two words that mean the most to me in 12-step recovery, and that's action and effort. And that's okay. And we often talk about the recovery work doesn't take place in our therapy rooms. The recovery doesn't take place in 12-step rooms. The recovery work takes place out there action and effort, hands-on. So tell us about the development of you getting interested and getting immersed in equine therapy. How does it work? People just think, gee, what do I do, ride a horse? So we get asked that an awful lot. (laughs) People think that they're going to come ride or they're just going to pet the horse, brush the horse, Um, and it's actually so, so much more than that. Um, so I, I went ahead and did some research on the different, uh, modalities that are out there, uh, the different organizations there are to provide training and certification. And, um, my horse professional and I went with the OK Corral series, Um, Greg Kirsten is the original founder of equine assisted psychotherapy in the 1990s and um, explaining what horse professional means. So um, in the inauthentic equine assisted psychotherapy, it's a co-facilitation method. So you have a mental health professional, which is me in the picture, and then you also have an equine specialist or horse professional, which is my my colleague and my best friend, Sam. And so um, whenever someone is coming for equine-assisted psychotherapy, you have uh, the two of us co-facilitating, and of course you have the horses, the most important part. And most of the modality actually does not involve riding. Um, In fact, 90 to 95% (laughs) of what we do uh, takes place on the ground. Um, and the riding that we do do is all bareback. Okay. So tell us a little bit about how it was determined, somebody determined that, gee, uh, horses might fit well into treating people with. So horses and equine assisted psychotherapy benefits people from all walks of life. Um, Greg Kirsten when he originally developed um, this modality, was actually working with 
um, underprivileged youth and um, juvenile delinquents at the time. And he was recognizing that their traditional uh, methods of reforming this population were not very effective. And he was a cowboy through and through, and he got permission to take um, small groups of adolescents out to the farm. And when he got them on the farm and got them around the horses and started to see how not only uh, they responded to the horses, but how the horses responded to them, he recognized that, wow, there's something really therapeutic about this, this whole interaction. And uh, since then, we have learned that uh, equine-assisted psychotherapy is extremely effective for mood disorders, anxiety, depression, trauma, um, substance abuse, as well as uh, relational issues, family conflict, um, and overall, you know, self-esteem and identity formation support. So how about walking us through and initial meeting, initial therapy session with a patient, you and the horse. So after gathering all of the typical information that we would gather for any sort of clinical interview, um, I like to, to gather a thorough history um, of what's bringing the person in for counseling. Uh, our initial session involves what we call a herd observation. A herd observation. Okay. So if the weather is nice out, we will go out in the field, uh, take the, the individual or you know, the group, uh, whoever is the identified client with us out to the field with the horses. If it's inclement weather, it'll take place inside. And our initial prompt will involve telling the, the identified client to just simply observe, uh, just simply be and observe the horses in their natural environment, taking in all of the, the sights, the sounds, of course, the, the smells that accompany <laughs> the interactions with horses. And we want them to take note of how the horses are interacting with each other as well as their environment. And at the conclusion of the herd observation, we want them to identify which horse reminds them most of their self and why. Interesting. So do you find that quite often, I know this as a modality that I know which seems to really resonate with uh, people on the spectrum, okay, and particularly younger people. So have you found that younger people, perhaps people with autism spectrum, uh, tend to open up more than just sitting in a room with a therapist? So far, I have found that every population that I work with tends to open up a lot more in an equine-assisted psychotherapy session. So that definitely involves youth. Um, in our particular program, we work with ages 14 and up. Um, however, that also involves young adults. I work with a lot of young adults, college age, um, men and women, um, as well as, as middle-aged adults and actually um, 
both men and women respond really well to this modality. It's considered a lot less threatening than the one-on-one, you know, interpersonal interaction of, you know, the, your typical stereotypical, you know, sitting on the couch um, and just talking and kind of feeling like the spotlight is on yes. them. Um, it kind of takes away that that perceived power differential when they're focused on the horses. So do the people feel a bit better when they see you talking to the horse? Oh, sure. Interacting with the horse? Okay, wonderful. That's great. I keep thinking of uh, the old television show, Mr. Ed, (laughs) (laughs) the talking horse. One of our exercises actually encourages our our clients to – give the horses, you know, verbal ability. If, if the horses were to ah. speak, if they were to be talking right now, what would they say? What questions would they be asking you? So a little rule reversal. Right. Yeah, well, a horse is a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course, unless, of course, the horse is the famous Mr. Ed. <laughs> <laughs> so you speak, you, earlier on, you were telling us about a frightened young lady uh, unsure of herself, perhaps awkward, full of anxiety uh, from a, a home that wasn't structured and organized and didn't have a traditional family structure. However, I'm listening to a young lady who's talking confidently and is well-spoken about how confident she is about her ability to do this. Tell me how that happened. <laughs> Uh, well, it certainly didn't happen overnight. I can tell you that, that uh, recovery is a process, um, just like we tell everyone that we work with, um, as well as the horses, uh, that it's, it's really a process of discovering who you are, uh, what your strengths are, um, and really how to capitalize on those strengths. So, I recognized that I didn't fit into a lot of environments because uh, by nature I was uh, introverted as well as I've recently discovered my strengths as a highly sensitive person, uh, which 15 to 20% of the population is as well as um, in the human human as well as the animal kingdom are highly sensitive. And horses being highly sensitive – I was able to connect with and recognize that I actually, what I perceived to be my weaknesses and um, reasons why I didn't fit in were actually my gentle strengths. So you're talking about being more of an empath. Okay. So what I what we try to help people understand that we help people celebrate their uniqueness mm-hmm. and rather than them not fitting in with the world. I try to help people understand that perhaps it's the others that don't fit in with you and that you're special and unique. And quite often, uh, Shauna, particularly with young ladies, one of the ways that I deal with self-esteem and self-concept is help them make a profile, not to put on a dating site or a website, but however, to make a profile of rather than what they have to offer, but rather what the requirement it takes to be with them. Okay. That's what we're interested in, self-concept, self-esteem, values, choices, non-negotiables, to 
those work those types of things up. So how do you work with identity formation, self-concept, self-esteem, which are the building blocks of how we help people grow in equine therapy? Sure. So, well, from the very first session, we are getting a lot of feedback in a very short amount of time, um, you know, whereas it, it may take a multitude of sessions for an individual to uh, really kind of express and discover their strengths as well as uh, to give me enough feedback to where I can reflect that back and, you know, give individuals um, feedback on on what their strengths are because I definitely take a strengths-based approach to treatment. Um, I'm getting a lot of information from their interaction with the horses. Mm. So, I am observing how confidently or timidly they are approaching. I am observing their their problem solving processes, mm-hmm. um, and you know how creative they are. Are they getting frustrated easily, uh, as well as getting to celebrate those successes with them? So they're really discovering uh, a lot about themselves in a very short period of time. And then we're learning how they can apply those strengths to their environment, as, as I tend to say, you know, how can you take this outside of the arena with you into life? I think that's uh, helping them incorporate. That is wonderful. So we often talk, I have a number of female guests on here, and one of the sad things is that most young ladies begin to lose their own self-concept and self-esteem around the age of nine when they become exposed to much social media, the interactions with their peers, uh, some perhaps some body dysmorphia, some uh, how they feel that they have to be to be able to fit in with their peers. So how did you deal with that? There's a lot of young ladies out there and young men watching this and listen to this show that say, boy, that sounds like me. Wow, but look at you now. So I, I definitely, I mean, nine really resonates. I would say that's probably around the time that I I was really struggling, um, kind of the beginning of the struggles of, of fitting in and uh, where to kind of find my herd. And I definitely didn't find that in public school, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, but I would say that you you just can't give up until you find it. Uh, you have to to know with assurance that your herd is out there and it may not be in the environment that you're in. Um, so don't be afraid to change environments. Don't be afraid to step outside of your comfort zone until yes. you find where you really belong. So quite often that comfort zone can be a misnomer. It can be a place that's actually keeping you from growing. Absolutely. I I always uh, talk with people in treatment about the, the patterns that are keeping them stuck and trapped. And uh, that comfort zone, even though we, we so desperately want to stay there and we don't want to leave it, it's really keeping us stuck from growth. And growing pains don't stop when we stop growing. Well, we consider everyone in, like a balloon with it infinite capacity for expansion. And we talk about phrases like thinking outside the box, pushing the envelope. There's no growth inside a comfort zone. So I think you know that I'm a rather 
blunter to the point type of therapist. And my job is to frustrate people and maybe get them angry enough, even with me, to press against those bounds and identify, recognize, label, and identify what that comfort zone is mating up and how it's holding them back and have them have them push through. So we like to talk about a lot of platitudes and a lot of wonderful sayings. And one of them is we talk about God doesn't close one door without opening another. However, in a 12-step world, we add something to that. We say, yes, however, it can be hell in the hallway. So sometimes I just tell people, welcome to the hallway. Now, how are we going to get through it? So a lot of what you and I do is helping people navigate hallways. And in the 12-step world, people get weary about me talking about the 12-step, but get used to it. Uh, So we often say, don't quit five minutes before the miracle happens. So what we do is we provide encouragement and support, not sympathy, but encouragement and support to people. So you have a wonderful, so what would you say to a young lady or a young man who's 9, 10, 11 years old out there that they don't fit in and they keep trying to join a golf league when, they, when they're good at bowling, uh, figuratively? Uh, so what do, what do you say to them, the, the, the people out there that are, saying, that are struggling and sitting at home, maybe crying, feeling that they're alone and have no friends? Well, I would say that, you know, stop trying to fit a square peg into a round hole. You know, you don't have to be this, you know, model person fit into, like I said, the environment that you're in. You know, you really need to discover what your own natural God-given strengths, talents, and abilities are. You know, how were you created? What were you created to do? And if you can't find a place that, you know, lets you be who you are, then maybe you need to create it for yourself. So when I discovered my, that I could combine my love of horses and my passion and desire for helping people into equine-assisted psychotherapy, there was nowhere readily accessible that I could get the training all in one place and someone that I could go work for. I kind of had to be a trailblazer. And so, you know, I went from not finding a place to fit in to creating that space for myself. So I'm also a first-generation college student. Um, and I can, I can encourage everyone to say that, you know, you can blaze your own trail as well and find that path. So you took a risk. Definitely took a risk. Took a lot of risks. (laughs) So there's a difference between a risk and a gamble. A gamble, you can lose everything. A risk you can recover from. Mm -hmm. Okay. So even though you took a risk in developing the equine therapy, getting the horses, the farm, the area, you still had your innate ability as a therapist. You still had your license. So you could have, you can recover from that, even if it failed. And sometimes people say, well, Jim, what if you fail? I'll say, well, then I fail. Mm -hmm. Then I fail. Okay. So if a person wanted to get in contact with you, either at a therapist at Namaste or uh, with your private practices, equine therapy, could you let folks know how to contact you? Sure. So you can find our practice online or on Facebook, uh, equine 
I'm sorry, Divine Interactions Equine Facilitated Wellness, LLC. I know that's a mouthful. Your website is? (laughs) DivineInteractionsEFW.com. And our contact information, our phone number, and our email address is on there. Okay. Well, we'll put a link on our website to your your website. And if somebody wants to contact you for individual therapy... They can contact us there as well. Uh, We do not just provide equine-assisted psychotherapy. We also provide holistic and outdoor counseling in our non-traditional environment at the farm. Cool. And for a more traditional environment, they can contact you at? Namaste Holistic Counseling. Cool. Okay. Well, uh, is there anything that you'd like to add before we close this wonderful session to learn about Shauna Arkenbaugh? I would say that no matter who you are, where you come from, uh, what you've been through, that your herd is out there ready and waiting for you to find them. If you think that you've learned something about somebody and that you really know somebody, I think it's a good idea to sit down and actually listen to someone and find out where they came from and what they're doing. So, Shauna, you've just uh, raised yourself about 25 notches in my estimation of you. So I'm really glad that we've had this opportunity to get together. I now hold you in high regard, higher than I was before. So we always learn something about somebody. And... I hope everyone has the honesty, open-minded, and willingness to be an active listener. And at the end of every podcast, we offer a free prescription, fruits, nuts, and vegetables. Unplug your television and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Do a kindness for yourself. Do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste, my friends. Please check out our website at fishingwithoutbait.com, where you can listen to the show, comment on our discussions, and find out where you can subscribe to our podcast. If you're interested in flying the colors of Fishing Without Bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.